Welcome back to Out on That Line. This is track nine. This week we'll be talking about the new album from Whitney called Candid, as well as Sturgill Simpson's new one called Cut and Grass. I'm here with my co-host Alex. As always, how are you, Alex? I'm good. I'm doing good, Jeff. I am, uh, I'm very intrigued with what we've got going on this week. Yes, we're going to try a little something different, um, a little new approach to these things. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. Okay. So at the risk of making us look like we don't do our research and we're not prepared, I'll offer the following anecdote. And also with the caveat that I don't speak for Jeff, I only speak for me. But as soon as we found out that there was new Sturgill coming, it felt like a given that that's what we would do. And I did like just assumed it was all going to be new because I read an interview with him that said he's doing a bunch of bluegrass music. Some of it would be covers. Some of it would be new material. So I just assumed that what was coming out was all brand new material, and I got all goosed up. And then we decided we needed another album to go with it, and I went digging through some stuff that I have in this playlist where I add stuff from artists that I know who release something new, like when The Weeknd came out with his new album. I threw it in there to the Out on That Line playlist that I have. So I saw that Whitney, this band Whitney, had a new album. So I threw that in there and went, oh, okay, that's a good one for down the road. And then kind of thinking thematically, like, what could go well with Sturgill? Uh, I don't know. Why don't we try this Whitney out and see how it goes? And I took one initial glance at it and went, oh, they cover uh, Take Me Home Country Road. Interesting. Started listening through the whole thing and then went, huh, they have a song called Strange Overtones, too. There's a David Byrne and Brian Eno song called Strange. Oh, it's got the same lyric. Oh, it kind of sounds, oh, this is a cover. Two covers on, a song, on an album with 10 songs. That's suspect, but okay. And then I did a little research, and they said, yeah, an album by Whitney of all covers. And I went, fuck. <laughs> Why am I so stupid? Because what we like to do, like you, you and I were talking earlier, and you said, you're like, our ethos is to try to go in as unspoiled as we can, both of us, so that it's kind of a fresh experience for the two of us. And I learned the hard way, I have to do like even a little bit more research than I fucking did with these goddamn blind picks. So we wound up with a week of all covers. Yes, it's Sturgill Simpson covering himself in bluegrass style, but we just, we wound up with a week that was literally all covers. And I just texted you, I was like, I, we gotta, we gotta fucking stick and move on this one because I don't know what we're gonna do otherwise, so. It's going to be a little experimental this week. Yes. And I also could have done even the slightest bit of research because, you know, the, and the thing about the Whitney album is that other than, you know, Take Me Home Country Road and, you know, I guess you could say that David Byrne song, but even that is like, it's not like it's a talking head song. Right. You know, so it's not as if it's one of his better known ones. So all of these songs on here were, were pretty obscure, um, you know, not taking anything away from the artists that did them before. It's just they, I, you know, it, if they were popular, it was a while ago. Um, you know, so there was really no way until you got into the album to realize, you know, unless you have a crazy, unbelievable depth of music knowledge, like a radio DJ might have or something like that. But, you know, certainly 
you know, I'm not trying to sell us short, but it was a level of knowledge that neither, neither of us had. Um, but I think what we're, what we're planning on doing, you'll see when we get into it, um, you know, Alex had put together some kind of prompts based on that to, to maybe open up the discussion a little more, um, about these songs, because just going over and, you know, covers by a band of another band, it just seemed like it wasn't going to be bringing to you folks, our loyal listeners, you know, the kind of pizzazz that we're looking to bring to you. Um, so bear with us on this one. You know, we're excited about it, you know, so I think this is going to go pretty well. Um, and I think Alex, if you want to kick it off, let's, let's start right off with the first one here. Yeah, so we're going to start with the Whitney album, Candid. Um, So a little backstory on Whitney. They are two skinny little indie musicians from Chicago. Um, His name, I think, is like Julian Reinerk or something like that. I had it written down. Where is he? Uh, Julian Ehrlich, excuse me. He was the old drummer for Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Are you familiar with them? I am not. Have you heard the song Honey Bee? Yes. Okay, yeah, that's them. That's them? Okay. Yep. Um, that's not him. That's New Unknown Mortal Orchestra. He was with them, I think, until 2012 or 2014. Um, but anyway, they were two musicians who linked up, and I think they were living together and decided to do their own thing, which became Whitney. And the idea behind Whitney is, in order to write this music, they decided to conceptualize an old, broken-down kind of like Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart character. Mm-hmm. Um, just this like hard drinking, hard living, used up kind of older artist who had a lot of miles and therefore a lot to say. Um, and it helped not necessarily create distance between them and the music, but get them out of their comfort zone and their preconceived notions so that they could kind of extend themselves and try something a little more daring than maybe they would be willing to try if it was just them putting themselves out there. So it's an interesting experiment, and I've always liked that. And um, their 2017 album, Light Upon the Lake, I really enjoyed quite a bit. There are some really interesting songs off it. Um, So the concept behind Candid, this album, is that in preparation to make a third original album, they realized they had kind of hit a wall with their sound in terms of growth. And in order to explore where they could go and what they were capable of, they took another Whitney-esque approach. So instead of being the Whitney character writing new material, they went to a lot of different artists that they really, really liked and decided to try to fit that to their style and see how it kind of opened up their thought processes and their creative process. So I will give this album overall a compliment sandwich, my favorite thing to do. (laughs) all of the songs okay let me rephrase that nine out of ten of the songs on the album are really good they're really nice to listen to um the lead singer max has this really nice pleasant falsetto i think it's kind of an interesting choice to always do that and to never actually like sing in your lower register but whatever the problem is i think that this whole concept of well let's just use what other people have done and make a whole album of covers to push ourselves is a little bit of a cop-out to me. I don't know how you feel about that. Yes, I I certainly felt like this one. Um, I guess it was good because it it allowed me to go back and listen to the other songs, um, you know, the original ones, which I think was part of their idea, I guess, when they were doing this, is they were like, we want to bring some attention to these. 
I ended up liking the originals a lot more generally than they did on the album here. You know, I think they did a couple of really faithful ones like take me home country road was definitely a very faithful cover that they did of that one. Um, but the other ones, you know, just, and we'll kind of get into it as we go through here. Um, I felt like kind of what was the point, right. You know, and, and it wasn't, you know, not, and not saying that it, that they're not a good band or talented or anything. It's just some of these songs when I heard them, I was like, well, it's good that you're bringing some shine to these artists, but what are you trying to say other than that you just kind of maybe had a creative block and wanted to release something and so you just came up with covers, you know, and it just, I don't know, I, I didn't really know how to understand where they were coming from with this. Right, and and I completely agree and I think that's the problem is to present it as, hey, an album of covers of songs that we really wanted to give further exposure to, which I think is great because... Again, they picked a lot of songs I had never fucking heard of. And you go back and listen to the original, and they're absolutely worthy of that exposure. So it was a worthwhile experiment in terms of bringing that music to other people. But by their own admission, that is secondary to, well, I don't fucking know. Let's just kind of like, it's almost like band practice and being like, hey, let's play some covers to warm up before we get into our Mm -hmm. own stuff. And to release that as your output, it's fine. They didn't technically do anything shady or shitty or wrong or immoral. But when you listen to them talk about it, they act like it was like, oh, oh, it's really part of the creative process. It's like, well, you ended up with material that you wanted to release. But like you said, what was the point? Like short of giving these songs exposure, which is only secondary to just getting through a creative block and trying to get yourselves ready for the third album, it's just weird. It's like an amuse-bouche for something better that's going to come along, which sounds like a shitty thing to say and like a dig on the artists that they chose to cover. But it's just, I felt a little bit like a cop-out as an experiment. So again, the compliment sandwich is really great songs that really deserve the exposure, but I think you're kind of full of shit for saying that was the reason you did it. Yeah. Yeah, so. it, it seemed like they just didn't have enough in their own well to draw a bucket of water out of, so they had to draw it from other people's, um, you know, and it just wasn't, you know, and like I said, I really enjoyed, the best thing about this album was that I went and listened to those other mm-hmm. songs, the originals, um, and I think, you know, with the first one, you had a really good idea, you know, this song Bankhead, which is a cover, cover by, and I may mispronounce the name, but Kilila, um, she's an R&B artist, and it's, you know, it's just about, kind of you know keeping someone at a distance you know the one of the lyrics is i'm still browsing there's no need to buy so it's kind of wondering how they're so sure about this relationship this potential relationship and you're not really sure so you're kind of like well i have to figure myself out but i don't want you to go away totally um you know and so you had the idea of like it's also kind of a bop too you know so you had the idea in these in this um list that you sent to say you know what's your kind of go-to party anthem because there's there's also a lot of that in the song where it's like you know they're just having a good time um and immediately i didn't have to think about this one for more than half a second um it's x gonna give it to you by dmx (laughs) i should have known yeah and i mean that's you're not going to find anything better um you know i think it was always going to be dmx for me i don't know what other song might be a real party starter um 
but I think I've started plenty of parties with that one, you know, so it's, to me, that was an obvious choice. And I really liked the way that this was going, you know, that, that you had come up with these questions because it allowed me, I think, to, to put my claws away a little bit on this album yeah. to think of it this way. And it, it was, um, yeah, so, so part of my, the way I kind of generated the prompts too was, it was a mixture of what is the song itself saying and what did they say about why they chose it? So it's kind of a mix and match of, of reasons for the song existing and what our response is going to be. Um, but yeah, everything that you said about, for them, clearly it was a, a go-to party anthem. They talk about how they missed summers in Chicago, putting this song on and having a blast with their friends. And that got me thinking, I'm like, okay, so let me think of other times that I've experienced that. I would say my go-to especially if I'm just like a party of one or I'm at a party and I get control of the, the music, I will always, like you said, no hesitation. Let's go crazy by Prince. Oh first, yeah. First track off purple rain, that monologue at the beginning, I have the whole fucking thing memorized and I oh, yeah. will do Dearly it. In perfect scene. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it is a, that's a great song. And that, and I was immediately thinking like rap, hip hop, or like even EDM. So like my immediate thought went to that, but that's a perfect pick. That's a perfect pick. I love that song. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to blast off and then speaking of blast off, I thought of a specific scenario where not to toot my own horn, but my instinct for like, how do I, how do I musically get this party going off? When I was in college, senior year, the night after we wrapped our last show, um, the seniors all had to direct and after the last night, we all had like different little like one act projects. So the night that that was over and everybody had moved their shit out, it was really over for the seniors. And in a couple of weeks, we were all about to go our own ways. So we're having a closing night party, but everybody's totally fucking miserable. Everyone's crying. Everyone's way too drunk. <laughs> everyone's just sitting there being like, what are we all going to do when camp is over kind of thing? Yeah. And I just remember looking around and being like, it can't end this way. We can't remember that we can't be sitting there doing this here's to the night bullshit we need to fucking <laughs> dig down and we need to party and the big song at the time was starships by Nicki minaj mm-hmm. so i put that on and i stood on top of the coffee table which i promptly broke because i was about 50 pounds heavier than i am <laughs> right now well that was a rickety ass coffee table you guys had too it sure was yeah and i fucking went through that thing like chris farley and the place went <laughs> right off <laughs> and the mood completely changed. I'm like picking splinters out of my fucking taint, but everyone instantly was like, fuck it. Yeah. We're wasting too much time being sad. Let's all just start pounding the air to this fucking song, which quite frankly is not that fucking good, but it got the people going. Yep. Oh, it's got a, I mean, it's got a, a nice beat to it. It's not one of those ones that where if you sit down and read the lyrics, you're like, Oh, well, this is either very offensive or, or just horrendous in general. Um, but you know, as a song itself, just a pop song. Yeah. That one will get the party going. Well, yeah. And just like starships were meant to fly. If you want to really read into it, we're all going to go out into the world and launch ourselves and become baristas and nannies. (laughs) The world's our oyster. And, uh, let's do this one last time. So it was kind of like that got everybody to embrace the fact that like, we do not have a lot of this time left. So let's not waste it being sad. We can do that when we're out of here. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. It's always good to party. Always good to party. I recommend it. <laughs> yeah. 
moving on to the next, um, it's AM AM or a, the way they set it up is it's a dot M dot and then just AM. So I don't know what the meaning of that is supposed to be. Maybe you've looked into that a little deeper. Um, but the original song is by a guy named, uh, Damien Gerardo. Um, and you know, what I noticed in this one is I kind of actually liked this was one of the few that I was like, okay, they did a really good job with this cover because I kind of liked it more than the original. Um, the lyrics were a little clearer, easier to understand, um, as well as the slide guitar on this one that they added mm. in was a nice, really nice touch. Um, the original was kind of um, really synth heavy, um, really kind of dream pop style, um, not unlike My Morning Jacket kind of style, you know, the album that we did a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of enjoyed this one, um, but again, it was like not so much better than the original that I was like, oh, I'm glad they did this, you know? Mm. Yeah, because that's exactly like you said. I made a playlist of the originals and went through them afterwards, and this was one of those rare ones where I was like, oh, no, they actually outdid the original. Um, and the interesting thing about this one is they describe it as a song they wish they'd written. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know that it's that great a feat. Like, obviously... The reaction you have is the reaction you have. So I'm glad that they liked it. And then they clearly love it because they found so many things to improve upon. But it got me thinking about, okay, well, this is a song that they wish they'd written. I remember being in grad school. And on the first day, one of our professors was like, write down three movies you wish you'd written. Um, And I got ridiculed for mine because one of them was Dumb and Dumber. But, you know, (laughs) I stand by that. So what? Yeah, you know, hard not to. What um what's a song you wish you'd come up with? Uh well, sticking with part of the theme of the episode with Sturgill, uh the song from High Top Mountain, You Can Have the Crown. Mm. Uh you know the the this such a clever lyric, you know in the chorus. Well, they call me King Turd up here on Ship Mountain, but if you want it, you can have the crown. You know, and it's just <laughs> a song about him being like down on his luck, you know, needing to write a song to make money, but he can't. So he's like, he's talking about, oh, well, I guess I got to go rob a bank. You know, it's very, you know, very clever lyrics. And especially on that album, you know, it's, it's, that's a, he kind of went back to that with the cut and grass album that we're going to talk about later in the episode. Um, but it was, it's definitely that, that one came right to mind where I was like, every time I listen to him, I'm like, God damn it. It's so funny. It's so clever. Like it's, and it's such a relatable thing. Cause everybody's been in a spot where like, how am I going to make money? Like I got to make some money right now. Yeah, and what's funny about that, too, is I came super close to also picking a Sturgill song. And the reason I didn't is because I'm like, ah, it's kind of like, at this point, his most well-known song. So the little hipster gnome that lives inside of me was kind of like, no, don't go so mainstream. Uh, Don't do it. But I was going to pick Turtles All the Way Down just because I think the imagery that he plays with there, the lyrics, the concept, the themes of it all. I, I like what is a perfect song. I guess that's completely subjective, mm-hmm. but it just like checks all the boxes for me. It's musically interesting. It's thematically really interesting. And we'll talk about it more when we talk about Sturgill. I don't want to blow the load here. Um, so I pivoted and kind of keeping with that theme, these larger existential themes I went with. Can you guess what artist, Jeff? Prince? No, but close. One of my other standards. Oh, no. Is it Steely Dan or Elvis Costello? It's Elvis Costello. (laughs) (laughs) I went with the song from 1989's Spike. I went with God's Comic. 
And the mm-hmm. reason I really like it is it's this very sad kind of borderline vaudeville song, but like eminently way more listenable. The lyrics are just, they grapple with these themes of futility and insignificance. Like um, the opening, the first two verses are about, I wish you'd known me when I was alive. It's about a guy talking about how when he was alive, he was this like totally insignificant drunk. And he would wonder about, you know, he's God's comic. Is Am I just here to amuse some cosmic entity that doesn't give a fuck about me and just kind of laughs at my plight? Is there any more to this? And then that character dies and finally gets to meet God. And God is like completely disaffected. He's got this line about listening to records. And when he does, he's like, this makes me wish I had just given this world to the monkeys instead of humans. And then the third verse is from God's perspective, how he carries a lot of existential guilt about the world. Like he looks out on his creation and is completely underwhelmed by it. So it's just this like completely futile, sad, depressing song, but it's so cleverly written and so fucking interesting to listen to vocally and and lyrically and musically. So again, it's another one of those songs that checks a lot of boxes for me. And I'm just like in complete envy of Elvis Costello every time I listen to it. He has so many more uh, famous songs, some that I might even like, like more than God's comic. But that is one of the ones where I'm like, damn, goddamn, I wish I could write a song like that, if not that song itself. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and I thought of it, too, where I was like, you know, because there's plenty of songs that I, you know, that I wish I'd written. But there's a lot that musically I would not have been up to snuff to do it. So I kind of tried to keep that in mind as well. I was like, what one do I know how to play? And so when I play it, I'm like, damn, I really wish I would have written this one. And You Can Have the Crown is one of those. So you know, Elvis Costello was a pretty monster guitar player, you know, so that like, there's no, there's no catching up to that for me. So I tried to keep away from that style of song because it's just, you know, I was obviously in my own head about my own limitations musically. Um, but that's a good pick as well. I mean, he's definitely known as, you know, I'll say whatever I want to say about him, but you know, I'm not going to deny that he's, that he's a great lyricist and, and good at what he does. Yeah. So that's a good pick. Yeah. And I mean, if you want my satirical answer, which also covers what are my songwriting capabilities? Happy birthday, because the royalties <laughs> pay out forever, and it's incredibly simplistic. Oh, so. God, could you even imagine? Like, you're living in a mansion. It's like, oh, well, how'd you, how'd you get that? It's, oh, my great-grandpa wrote happy birthday. This is the house that happy birthday built. <laughs> yeah, God damn. God damn. <laughs> and yeah. moving on to what I'm sure is your favorite one on this album, uh, Take Me Home Country Roads. Am are I you, correct? Are you being cheeky? Is that cheek, Jeff? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Both cheeks. Well, here's the thing. I actually did enjoy it because, A, I don't really hate Take Me Home Country Roads. I am annoyed by the ubiquity of it at certain times. But I really like this version again because it's it's very faithful. And they got my girl, Katie Crutchfield, Waxahachie, to do it as a mm-hmm. duet. So I really enjoyed it on that level. What did you think of this? I, you know, I used to hate Take Me Home Country Roads um, to the point where uh, when I used to play, you know, live music all the time and I'd play with, you know, friend of the pod, Matt Reno, um, who promised he was going to listen to this episode knowing we were going to do Sturgill. Um, so he'll enjoy this. But, uh, you know, he used to want to play two songs, Desperado by the Eagles. Ooh, Yeah, terrible. My dad used to heckle him 
when he'd play that one live. I, I would be like, okay, well, this is my set break. I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my dad would heckle him. Um, <laughs> Good man. And also take me home country roads. But I don't know where it turned around for me that I started enjoying it. I think it was, um, you know, you mentioned in here that it was used as a plot point in the emotional climax of a goddamn shitty Kingsman sequel. <laughs> um, and funny part about that, uh, fiance of the pod, Marla, back when we were first starting to see each other, um, she mentioned that she was going to see that Kingsman Golden Circle movie. And so naturally, I just invited myself along, um, which she has said in retrospect, you know, she was like, well, I wasn't really that happy you did it. You know, all's well that ends well, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but I really <laughs> liked the use of that song in that movie because I thought it was just so over the top and cheesy that he was just standing on a landmine singing Take Me Home Country Roads in this deep baritone, which is like so off from what John Denver sang it originally um, that I was just like, yeah, this is a, that's a kick-ass use of that song and totally turned it around for me. In his like thick-ass Gloucester accent or whatever fucking oh, yeah. region of England that that was. Country road, take me home. Like, oh, hol- yeah. holy fuck. Like, I couldn't, I got to that point and like, I was selling on this movie immediately. Like, Channing Tatum is a cowboy and I'm like, oh, Named fuck. Whiskey. Yeah, great. All the fucking <laughs> Americans are named after alcohols. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, no. So I was selling on this movie already and then that part came up and I'm like, all right. Spoilers, obviously, but they're like, they're going to kill off Merlin or whatever this guy's fucking name was mm-hmm. with the goddamn country road. song, and it just, you're right. You're absolutely right. It was so over the top and so out of place. You cannot help but laugh and enjoy it and go, this is so fucking dumb. There's no point in getting mad about it. Just sit back and let it happen. Yeah. Just, it's one of those ones where it's just, you know, I, and I certainly didn't go into that movie expecting to be moved you know it's it's certainly not like a like a field of dreams type movie for me or anything that's going to bring a lot of emotional um you know emotion out of me but damn it was just if you go into if you go into something like that without taking it too seriously the same way i do with the fast and the furious movies or any of those you know it's like you can get all the enjoyment in the world out of them if you just don't take them seriously and god damn it did they use that song well in that movie you gotta you know Every now and then, the blind squirrel finds a nut, and they they sure did. So good, yeah. good for them. A thousand monkeys with a thousand typewriters. One of them is going to come up with that Kingsman sequel, and I'm glad they did. You better believe it, baby. <laughs> um, now the next one, no irony, nothing, no joking about it. Really liked this one. High on a rocky ledge. Mm-hmm. Um, originally by a guy named Moondog, who. I think passed away in like 1997, I want to say, you know, it was, was in the original is a pretty stripped down piano song. Um, and it's about, you know, kind of, you know, it's the metaphor that he uses is climbing a mountain, you know, and Edelweiss, the flower, you know, that grows at a high elevation represents, you know, the love that they're looking for. And I just, I thought they did a good job kind of, you know, I, th- I felt like this song, the original was good, but the way they added to it with, you know, more of the synth heavy kind of stuff and made it more of a dreamy type of song, you know, I felt like it did a service to that song. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, you look at this Moondog guy and he's just this like old man with this super giant snowy white beard, um, just like a the quintessential grandpa. And I kind of really love listening to old men and old women 
kind of towards the end of their lives, kind of like, you know, we talked about Johnny Cash and Hurt. Um, and just kind of like checking in with them and, and hearing what they, because a lot of times in a business like the music business, you age out in theory. Like I remember reading a listing when I got to New York City. I was looking for bands to join. And there was a music producer who was like, I won't take you on if you're older than 25 because let's be honest about the business. They don't give a fuck about you if you're older than 25. We can't market you as a hot new star if you're older than 25. And I'm like, that's a fucking shitty, stupid mentality. I get it. It's not He's not wrong. Yep. But it doesn't mean that the notion is right. So, like, I look at a guy like Dan Reeder, who is this, like, 65-year-old dude who lives in Germany. He's an American expat living in Germany. He is, like, a sculptor. He builds his own fucking guitars and amplifiers. He's a really interesting dude who makes really strange music. Look up the song Born a Worm by Dan Reeder. It's very simple. It's a total old man song, but there's a lot of profundity to it that I think comes with age. And you kind of miss out on that if all you want to do is, you know, Doja Cats, check my ass in your face, back, 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 which don't get me wrong, I love and I'll bump all fucking day. Yeah, pro Doja podcast here, folks. Yeah, pro Doja. Like, you know, Hot Pink is an album I'd love to cover at some point. But I, I look at this Moondog guy and I'm like, the song takes on such an interesting context coming out of him because he talks about, like, put on your warmest parka, climb to the top of this hill, and then fling yourself off so that as you hit the sharpened rocks below and die, eventually you will become part of the ecosystem and you become what fertilizes the little Edelweiss flowers to grow, and you can always be with this flower that you love. Obviously, all metaphorical for, you know, something like love. You kind of have to take a chance, and you have to put yourself out there and, and love dangerously, and then hopefully get to, for the rest of your life, spend that with someone you love. So it was an interesting song, metaphorically, and it, it was also, like, I believe both versions they found enough to make it sound different, and I, I kind of like them both equally, I would say. This was a dead heat for me in terms of the two versions. Yeah, I thought they were good, and I, I don't think I'd, I think I'd heard of Moondog or I'd heard the name, uh, maybe in another context. Maybe I heard the, the word Moondog, and it wasn't even in the context of this, you know, this artist. Um, but I definitely, you know, it was kind of that thing where you were saying, it's like, yeah, either you make it to the top of the mountain and, you, and you're with your love for the rest of your life, or you end up splattered amongst the rocks below, you know, and it's in, you know, you came up with a good kind of prompt for that, which was, you know, what are, what are some songs maybe that you're thinking of? That's about, you know, an ill-fated romance or star-crossed lovers or something like that. Um, and the one that immediately came to mind and definitely, I guess I'm just always got country on the brain must be, um, is the bird hunters by turnpike troubadours. Mm. Um, it's a song that again, friend of the pod matt reno um showed me when i was home from texas one like the first after the first year that i lived there i think it was actually his was it his wedding no it was after they had moved to their house so it was maybe the next year um and i was just up there and he says oh i think you'll really like this song you know and it's a song about you know to a guy that goes home he went to the city you know because he had fallen in love with a girl and moved there and then he went back home because they broke up it didn't work out you know, and he's back in the woods with his friend hunting like they used to when they were kids. So, you know, me being homesick, coming back to Vermont from Texas, hanging out with Reno, who, you know, musical blood brother of mine, you know, from from our college days, 
And just that song just hit me so hard. And it still does. You know, I love listening to it. But, you know, the, the chorus is, you know, go on back to Cherokee County. Why don't you crawl back with nothing but a razor and a comb? Because, um, babe, if you need me, I'll be where you found me. Go on to hell, honey. I'm headed home. You know, and it's, and it's that kind of, you know, you climb this mountain. You went to the city with her. You, you tried to make it work. And then you end up splattered amongst the rocks. And here you are back home. Yeah. I, I fucking love that song too. I, I, yeah, you must've showed it to me then like the next time you came back. Cause I remember like looking over at you and watching you like mouthing the words. I'm like, yeah, okay. This is fucking, this song's pretty fucking good. Yeah. Um, I think a similar one for me, uh, and I have to be careful how much I give away on this one too, because there's a fun story behind it. Um, but my song is Jeannie needs a shooter by Warren Zevon. Mm-hmm. which quick anecdote almost this summer made the uh I've heard this too many times to enjoy it anymore list because no disrespect to brother of the pod Tanner but he knew how much I liked it and I really sold him on it so he would like play it to try to please me because he's a good friend and it's just like we heard it too many times where I, I was getting to the point where I'm like ah, I'm starting to turn on this song which sucks because I love it but Luckily, it's kind of come back into the rotation stronger than ever. And I'm really excited about it because the story behind it is it was supposed to be a Bruce Springsteen song. He started mm-hmm. working on it as Janie Needs a Shooter, couldn't crack it, gave it to Warren Zevon. And Warren Zevon came up with his version. And it's this really kind of like borderline scummy song, basically, about... I was born down by the river where the dirty water flows and the cold wind cut through me. It cut right through my clothes. So he's this like hard bitten outlaw who meets a girl and falls in love with her. And he calls a shot and goes, I'm going to have her except her dad is a lawman. So he's like, nah, you're not going to be with this gross, dirty fucking scoundrel. And it of course ends poorly. And the narrator in the song ends up lay there in the darkness with a pistol by my side. Uh, Jeannie and her father rode off into the night. So obviously the lawman fucking kills him for the transgression, Mm -hmm. but it just tells it's peak Warren Zevon because he just tells such a distinct story. Like anybody can be like, I met a girl, I fell in love. We had one summer together. It didn't last. And now I'm sad. But every story he tells like Roland, the headless Thompson gunner. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I'm big. Uh, my dad had a few Zevon records in the basement, so I, I'm very familiar. Fucking excitable boy! Yeah. That album is. Woo. Oh yeah, woo. yeah. That's a good woo. one. Um, but I mean, like, what a weird song to write about a, a mercenary who comes back as a fucking headless ghost. Like, yep. Who who else was doing that? So, I just appreciate the way Uncle Warren kind of crafts a song, and that was one of the first ones that came to mind when I was thinking about the trajectory of Moon Dogs little uh high on a rocky ledge here yeah yeah i mean yeah more what a great a guy that definitely had probably plenty of those loves <laughs> that didn't work <laughs> out probably through through every fault of his own um, yeah, oh yeah yeah you know, but yeah some great like werewolves of london lawyers guns and money i mean mm. there, he had some he had some doozies he had some doozies desperados under the eaves accidentally like a martyr nighttime in the switching yard like just yeah loaded baked potatoes all yeah, and had some, you know had some big hits, but I think he uh, some of the the deeper cuts on the albums were just so weird that I think his entire albums weren't going to be that popular unless he really liked Warren Zevon. Um, you know, he was never going to crack into that Led Zeppelin 
territory, I don't no. think. But man, he's good. Definitely check out some Warren Zevon, folks, if you haven't done so yet. It's yep. it's a weird journey, but a, a worthy journey for sure. Well worth it. Yeah. Um, the next one is a instrumental, I believe. So we can skip right over that. What's the yeah. name of that one? Just something happened, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was originally by... Hold on, I wrote it down here. Let me get to my notes. Uh, Jack Errol. So we'll just give the shine there that that song exists, and we'll move right along um, to one that I definitely want to hear what you have to say about this one, um, Strange Overtones, because I know about David Byrne and Brian Eno separately. I don't think I'd ever heard this particular song before or even known that they did a project together. Um, I'm very familiar with Talking Heads, and I'm familiar with Brian Eno, both the music he's played and the production he's done. Yeah. Um, but I definitely want to hear what you think about this one because it sounded like you were familiar with it. Yeah, I mean, I my understanding is it's a song about writing a song, which to me is peak David Byrne, and maybe I'm talking out of turn. I don't know if he's confirmed on the spectrum or if that's just speculation <laughs> that people have. But I think that's – and, like, by the way, none of this is – I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm trying to kind of suss out where he gets the ideas for his songs because, I mean, he, there's a whole album, more songs about buildings and food. A lot of what he chooses to write about is, you know, he's kind of the antithesis of – we're just talking about Warren Zevon, where Warren Zevon will be like, he was a warrior who fucking had a sword and a lady sold his soul to the fucking devil, like, blah, blah, blah these elaborate scenarios, these elaborate lives, whereas a song like Cities off of... Shit, that's not Remain in Light. Fear of Music. It's off Fear of Music. No. Yeah. Fear of Music. Um, it's literally like f- this song where it's just like rambling about cities. There's no subtext to it. It's just like, find myself a city to live in. Think of London, small city, dark, dark in the daytime. People sleep, sleep if they want to. Like... Not much to read into there. That's David Byrne. He doesn't really get that deep inside of himself all the time as a mm-hmm. rule. So this is Strange Overtones really is kind of quintessentially David Byrne. It keeps you at a distance. But at the same time, and maybe this is Brian Eno's influence, who knows, it, it does kind of allow for a different interpretation. So Strange Overtones to the music you were making, you can or the music you were playing, that could be interpreted literally or you could kind of interpret it perhaps romantically like strange overtones to the way that you decided to love me to the way you decided to treat me and I think that you get more of that interpretation from Whitney however when I said nine out of ten songs on this album landed this is not one of the nine no and they changed some lyrics too right they did yeah, yeah. They cha- I think it was um, uh, it's something like a snowball melting in the kitchen. They changed it to like snowfall reminiscing. There was literally no reason to change it. And they, there was more too because I, when I was reading through, you know, because the lyrics that they posted online for Whitney are actually the lyrics that David Byrne wrote. Like they're mm-hmm. the correct lyrics for the original song, um, but they just got posted as this. So when I'm listening to it, the lyrics that they were singing did not match up with a lot of this song. Um, and they, so they changed more than that and they were in the, for some reason, you know, I, if you know anything about David Byrne, he takes his music very, very seriously. Oh yeah. Takes his art extremely seriously. Um, to the point where he doesn't trust other people to do his songs. So he won't, he now won't, I don't know if this has changed, but for a long time, at least 
he will not tour with the rest of the Talking Heads because he's like, I will do my songs justice. I don't need them to do it. Also, he likes making the money from them too. Yeah. You know, he doesn't like splitting splitting the money from that. And it's just, you know, he's he's definitely a very very focused, intense dude when it comes to his music. Um, so for them to change the lyrics and then just be like, you know, he knows, you know, we're doing it because we appreciate the song. It's like, well, I don't know, man. I think if if you ask David Byrne, he's probably not going to be happy that you did that. Yeah, and a lot of the stories they tell are like, oh, our manager sent this song to the original artist and they loved it. And I noticed a distinct lack of a story like that for this one. Yeah. So obviously they obtained the rights to do it, but it would, I mean, they fell flat on their fucking faces with this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just didn't work on any level. The changes they made didn't work. They are trying to take like a, a synth driven dance beat from an extremely disciplined musician and turn it into a more airy, like folk style. And just, they did not adapt it well, no. which to me begged the question, um, can you think of a song or songs or an album that seriously damaged an artist's brand or credibility or your enjoyment of them? Yes. Yeah, so one, I'm going to say one that damaged it, but you know, didn't, didn't deserve to damage it um, was Bruce Springsteen's tunnel of love. You know, that one, that album was vilified, but if you go back and listen to that now, it's a good album. The one that I came up with that I, can't believe this popped into my head. I can't believe I even know what this song is uh, by Brad Paisley called Accidental Racist. The one he did with LL Cool J. Because I'm pretty what? sure a- you didn't know about that song? No. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't I don't think I even pulled up the lyrics for it because I'm like, I don't even want to get into it. But yeah, he definitely it's about like, you know, you're you really want to do right, but you keep saying the wrong things. So they called it Accidental Racist. And he what he did was and the thing is, Brad Paisley, like you watch him, he's probably one of the most progressive, like politically guys in country music. You know, monster guitar player had no reason to do this. He's good at writing clever songs. Like he wrote that one, I'm Much Cooler Online, which is like a pretty throwaway song, but it's like funny. You know, it had Jason Alexander in the music video, like trying to drive a Ferrari. You know, it's like just, it was a very kind of clever thing. And then he did Accidental Racist with LL Cool J. And I think it tanked both of their careers. Like LL Cool J was trying to make a comeback. And so Brad Paisley brought him onto this song to like add credence to him being like, oh, I'm not racist. See, I'm just, I'm trying to learn. And it was bad. When was this? This was like 2000, I want to say like 2008 or something like that. Let me, um, why don't you tell me yours? I'll, I'll look up the date real quick. Cause it was <sighs> definitely recent enough that you're like, this should never have happened. Oh Christ. I had no idea this existed. That is horrifying. Yeah. So I guess that begs the question, did Toby Keith write a song called Racist? Because that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> you know, I think I think Toby Keith was a lot more subtle about it. I think he was smart enough. And certainly, uh, you know, and say whatever you want about Toby Keith's politics, and I'm not going to argue with you, but certainly a far better songwriter than Brad Paisley ever was. Have to, have to give him that, sadly. Toby Keith's politics suck ass, but... Yeah. You, you know, there, there is a level of talent there that you have to acknowledge as much as you may not want to. Yeah. Um, so while you're looking up the date on that one, unless you already found it. Oh, still- yes. So, <laughs> oh God, I'm, and I'm reading the lyrics too. It's really, it's, it's, uh, it's really bad. Um, at 2013. 
Oh God. Okay. So very recent. And I'll just let you, I'll just read to, um, to the man that waited on me at the Starbucks down on Maine. I hope you understand when I put on that t-shirt, the only thing I meant to say is I'm a Skinner fan. So naturally oh. like Skinner went through this phase, like after several of the original members died, they really glommed onto that. Um, you know, it's heritage, not hate type of thing. And, oh. and had the, the Confederate flag on their sets and everything like that. And, you know, if you read about like the original members of Skinnerd, you know, there there's, they would never have done that. You know, that was definitely them. Like we need to make a comeback. Like we need to appeal to people. So they basically were like, what's the dumbest common denominator that we can appeal to slap that flag up on the stage. And I'm, I'm sure that the members that died in that plane crash are probably rolling over in their graves, knowing that that was going on. Was it, it was one of the original MAGA moves. Yeah. Just, it was, ugh. Yeah, it's Yikes. a bad. It's a bad song. Yikes! That's yeah. fucking rough. I gotta tell you. Yeah. Woo. Well, that kind of blows mine out of the water. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say the song "Mr. Roboto" and the album "Kilroy" was here killed Sticks. Oh, that you could be very right because I I do love Sticks right up until about that point. <laughs> I really enjoy the hell out of Sticks, and the thing is, um, uh, what's his name? It's, uh, not Cliff DeYoung, Sean DeYoung, Dennis DeYoung, Ian Ian DeYoung. It's no. Ian DeYoung. No, it's it's. I thought it was Dennis. Dennis DeYoung. It is. You're right. Okay. It's Dennis okay. DeYoung. Yes. Yep. Who wrote some of the best stick songs that they ever did? But he just got too obsessed with the whole piano ballad thing, and Tommy Shaw and all the others were like, "What the fuck is this? I don't like it." It drove Tommy Shaw out of the band. And that was the, I mean, Kilroy was here, was the end of the original lineup. And it was just this like conceptualized as like a rock opera. And it wasn't right for any of the venues they went to. And it just, the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, yeah, this, this was a drastic misfire on their part that led to the dissolution of the original sticks and they would never get the magic back. And it's funny because I don't think it ever took away from what people thought of sticks, you know, because I don't think, you know, to me, like, and a lot of people listen to Mr. Roboto and they're like, Oh, it's a great song. Cause it's just <laughs> a kind of a novelty song. And I don't think a lot of people really associate Mr. Roboto with like come sail away or lady, um, you know, or any of those songs that are like really the, the big time hits that they had before that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, when you think of it in that context, it's like, if you're reading, if you're looking through the albums of the songs that you like, that you know by Sticks, they pretty much stop right there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and oh, what an idiot. Mr. Roboto is no fucking renegade, I'll tell you that much. Oh, God. What a jam. Yeah. Folks, just go listen to some Sticks. Like, put it on when you're cleaning someday. I mean, on the biggest speakers you got in your house and just let it rip because, man, oh, man, can they rock. Yeah. Like, I seriously want to meet and fall in love with a woman named Lorelai just so that I can play that song for her. The day we move into a house together. Laura oh, and I, yeah. let's live together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Just bringing back so many memories of just blasting that when I was living with Matt Reno. Uh, Dr. During, Reno. During college days. Dr. Reno. Oh, God. Don't don't put that evil out in the world. Let's get him a giant like Dr. John hat, too. That'd be fucking sweet. <laughs> and just we'll feed him enough whiskey that he'll start sounding like him, too. Hey. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Um, so the next one was another song that I hadn't ever heard of before, originally by the Roach, the Roaches or the Rochers. I don't know how you pronounce that. Do you know? I don't either. No. Uh, it's called Hammond Song. Apparently has been covered a lot as well. 
Um, this one I didn't think was too bad, but again, the original, when I went back and listened to it, was way better. Yeah. And the thing is, I it's funny. I was thinking this, and then I was like doing the research, and somebody backed me up on this. This is a song Haim should cover. Like they're yeah. the only other like group I think could really do justice to this because it's three part harmony mm-hmm. for three women, um, and it's I really enjoyed the song quite a bit. It's a little repetitive and it's like six minutes long. I want to say the Whitney guys cut it down. They also reduced it to one melody instead of trying to attempt a harmony. Yeah, and I thought um, that took a lot away from the song when they did that. Yes, one hundred percent. I think what they yeah. should have done is the two of them and then bring Katie Crutchfield, Waxahachie, back. And maybe it would sound out of whack with two men and a woman, but I think it was worth trying. It just really lost something without the harmonies. I think with his falsetto, they would fill that space no matter what. Because, I mean, if you're going to assume, you know, a woman probably is going to bring a little bit higher register, yeah, you know, as far as the harmonies go. Um, but I think, yeah, that would have made a lot more sense for them to do that. Or just layer their vocals. You know, just do their their own mm. harmonization, slap them on there. You know what I mean? Plenty That's of bands have done that, um, but yeah, to not have that at all, I thought really took away from the from the song on that one. Yeah, it 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 kind of cut its teeth out a little bit. Um, but then, so like, it's obviously a story about like, you know, don't move, don't move to that Louisiana town. If you do, it's going to be the end of you. Um, so it's kind of this idea of following your dreams, no matter what the consequences are going to be. Um, and it somehow weirdly led me down this path of consequences as it relates to music. And I somehow landed on embarrassment. So like risk and embarrassment. So I think the prompt I gave you was what's the like stupidest or biggest risk you ever took related to music or do you have a super embarrassing story related to music? Uh, well, kind of all of the above. <laughs> so again, I mean, I don't, I don't know why or what kind of what kind of errors I made in my past life that I'm going to keep talking about Matt Reno on this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, back in the day, we played you know in a band called Hair of the Dog together, um, as well as just the two of us. You know, so we played throughout college like several you know, probably, you know, dozens and dozens of, of live shows. Um, and one of them was one that we didn't have planned. Uh, so I had been drinking, you know, the night before with him, you know, out at this deer camp. And then I went back to a buddy of ours house, you know, another friend of the pod, Harry, um, and another guy, Kyle that we knew. And, and so we started right off in the morning the next day, you know, we went and got ourselves some Labatt blues, uh, some crown Royal, and we just, went right after it that day. I mean, drinking yeah, I was all like, day. We were in the sauna. You know, he had some swings. We were on those. I mean, just got absolutely shit-faced all day. I mean, I don't know how many beers we went through, but it had to have been somewhere between 15 to 20 each, knowing, like, what beer was missing when we went back to look what was left the next day. Um, and then the whole bottle of whiskey was gone. I don't know how much any of either of us drank of that. I don't remember. Um, apparently, at one point, Reno called me and was like, hey, you know, we we got a potential show at this bar called the Naughty Pine, um, which is now called Moog's Joint, I think, in um, in Morrisville, Vermont. And <laughs> I guess his, his next question, because you could tell I was slurring and barely even making any sort of English words. Um, he was like, well, how drunk are you right now? And I was like, well... That's not a question you want to know the answer to. I think is is in so many words what I what I said to him. And he was like, "Okay, well, I'll be there to pick you up." 
And I don't remember anything of this show. Nothing. Don't remember getting there. Don't remember playing it. Apparently, it went really well. But I don't remember shit about it. Well, I guess you can just choose to remember that it went really well. I guess. (laughs) I would recommend that you choose to adopt that (laughs) as the official line. Oh, those were the days. What about you? Oh, yeah. Um, Mine is a little NSFW, but my first girlfriend in college, um, she lived in Maine and I lived in Vermont, was going to school in Vermont. Is this the one that started with a K? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I would obviously go up there to visit her and she would come to see me. And on one of my trips up there, uh, I made a mixtape CD type situation with some boudoir jams on it. Oh, no. Yeah. And I, (laughs) it had songs like Freak Me, you know that one? That me lift (laughs) you up and down till you say stop. Oh, God. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad times. Yeah. And uh, stupidly wrote booty time on the CD. She, for some reason, decided to listen to it in the car that didn't belong to her, but belonged to her father, who heard it when he got into his fucking car and promptly ejected the CD and saw it and put two and two together. So the next time I was up there to visit, I was helping them go get their Christmas tree. And it was just me and him riding in the car. And he goes... Let's listen to some music. Click, hits the CD player, and that fucking song comes on, and it just washes over me, and I look over at him, and he has the look on his face like a man who would pull out a pistol if he could and hold it to my head, but he couldn't. So he decided to let me stew in my own acrimony and defeat. I'm telling you, dude, it was like being in Game of Thrones at the Red Wedding, and you just hear the Reigns of Castamere start playing, and you go, oh, oh, no. He might as well have lifted up his parka and shown me his chain mail. I was pretty convinced he was taking me to the woods to kill me. It was not great. Oh, no. Yeah, it was bad. I Thankfully, I don't think I've ever had something like that occur. I think the most embarrassing thing I've had happen is, is when I had to call um, Marla's parents and ask, you know, to, for permission to, you know, ask her to marry me. And that was – and that was – embarrassing not not even embarrassing it was just nerve-wracking and that's the probably the closest i can get to where it's like i have to actually talk about my relationship with their daughter you know what i mean and that was that was close enough for me i can't even imagine you must have wanted to crawl out of your skin oh dude i seriously considered i'm like we're going fast enough that i don't think i could bail out of the car and live so i'm stuck here well that might have been the better play (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah yep and then I so, could be like the guy in Genie Needs a Shooter, lay there in the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's man. too good. That is too good. Oh, I bad. love that. <laughs> All right. Um, and moving on, the next song, I think this was probably my favorite one. Not the version that Whitney did, the original version. This was my biggest one where I was like, man, this. I wish I had known about this song previously, which I think was the idea really behind doing this one called Crying, Laughing, Loving, Lying by, and help me out with the pronunciation if I get it wrong, um, Lobby Sifre. I think that's it. Okay. Um, great song. Like really kind of clever, very simple lyrics. Um, you know, the literally the words in the title, Crying, Laughing, Loving, Lying, are the words that start out each verse. Um, and it's And it's definitely... 
you know, there's not a lot to it, but you kind of understand the storyline as you go along here. And if you listen to the original, it is great. Like it's one of those songs where it definitely deserves some more shine. Absolutely. And yeah, you're correct. They had said that their goal was if anyone gets anything out of this song uh, or if you get nothing else, just go listen to the original. And I did the same thing. I went and I'm like, yeah, goddamn, they weren't wrong. This is pretty good. And fun little piece of trivia. If I'm not mistaken, um, La- Labby Sifre. Oh, goddamn, dude, that name. I got to I feel bad. Um, I think he's the one that wrote that song. I got the dot 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 that Eminem samples and uh, Hi, my name is. Okay. Pardon. 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 Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's him or that's Lalo Schifrin, and that's not fair to use another LS on me. Yeah, that's not fair, and especially that kind of sim- kind of similar too. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. We you know it definitely could have been one of those things where you know again. If we had done even a little modicum of, of research on, <laughs> on the pronunciation of these things, we'd have been we'd have been really golden on this one. But you know, we like to fly by the seat of our pants on this podcast, just with with style and grace and dignity. That's what we yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so definitely look into that one because that's a really great song. Um, and then you know, you had the idea of you know what song would you consider to be highly underrated and wish more people knew about? So what what do you got? Um, I want a signal boost two acts um the first one is the lemon twigs who i think to do a lot of bold experimentation with their sound there are times that they sound like the kinks um they did an album uh fuck i think it's called go to school uh from 2018 that is essentially a concept album about a family that raises a monkey to be a human and they like it's kind of a commentary on like how we educate our kids and the people that we turn into. It's actually really interesting and the music is really good. But they've kind of got this like wacky, goofy kind of um glam rock sensibility to them, but it's not that's not all they do. They're constantly jumping around to different styles. I just think they do a lot of really cool shit and no one I've ever spoken to has ever heard of them. I'd like to do their new album on the show at some point. Um, and then the other one is Courtney Marie Andrews. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't heard of her and you haven't heard any of her stuff, holy shit. Start with the song, May Your Kindness Remain. It stopped me in my goddamn tracks the first time I heard it. She's got this beautiful, powerful voice. She's classic country, but at the same time, it transcends that. And it almost feels like operatic in its quality or like orchestral in its quality. She's got a ton of talent. So if I can signal boost two acts, those are my two. What about you? Yeah, um, I think so. She toured with Deer Tick, right? I believe so. That was her kind of recent claim to fame. Yeah, so she um, that well, that's one Deer Tick. Um, If you're not familiar, I know they're pretty popular at this point. um, But if you're not familiar specifically, the song Ashamed is Mm. truly incredible, incredible song. Um, but the one that came to my mind, um, and again, you know, we're not going to go very far off of uh, Jeff's beaten path here, um, but Lost in the Flood off of Bruce Springsteen's first album, the Greetings from Raspberry Park album. Um, it is a powerhouse of a song. You know, it's one of those ones that, you know, when Bruce was kind of lauded as one of these new Dylans, and I say that, you know, in quotations because they had a bunch of these folks that, you know, they thought were going to be the next Bob Dylan. Lost in the Flood was one of those songs that kind of gave him that moniker. Um, and it's just about a, you know, it's about a story of, you know, civil unrest, 
you know, that these people are coming home from the war and they're not, you know, they, they haven't totally left it behind, you know, so it's, it's definitely some territory that he, he expands upon, you know, later in his career through the next few albums. Um, but this is really that first one that you kind of hear that born in the USA style where it's like, you know, it's America. America's great, but it's, there's, there's some cracks, you know, that are forming, you know, there's some, there's some splits in our society that need to get addressed. And, you know, and he was one of the ones that really kind of was doing that and really giving a voice to the folks that, you know, maybe weren't totally down and destitute, but were kind of stuck in the middle, you know, that forgotten middle that, you know, that mediocre middle that you never get out of, you know, and I think that this is kind of where that started for him. And it's a, just a great song. Excellent. Yeah. yeah and you said that's off Asbury. Yeah, the first album. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, a great album altogether, all the way through. I mean, definitely far different than what he did on like Born to Run and Darkness on the Edge of Town, you know, when he got kind of later in the 70s there, but just a really really spectacular album. Nice. I know I've yeah. heard it. I actually have Greetings from Asbury Park. I just haven't bumped it on vinyl quite yet. It was yeah, remarkably one of the only albums that survived my stepdad had a whole bunch of vinyl that he kept at his his uh, shop. He's an arborist. Mm. So like winter after winter, these things just got fucking punished. And the only two ones that survived were um, Talking Heads, Speaking in Tongues, and Green oh, Street, yeah. Asbury Park. Hell yeah. So if you got to pick two to survive, I'm happy it was those two. But the rest, Not I was bad. like, oh my God. Yeah. He had so much T-Rex and like old Tyrannosaurus Rex. Mm-hmm. And they just got destroyed. A bunch of Dylan got destroyed. Oh, yeah. And they're not really repressing those T-Rex albums either, I don't think. No. Not the Ugh. Tyrannosaurus Rex days. No. That was very sad because I love me some Mark Bolin. Ah, that sucks. That yeah. sucks. Um, so the next song called Rain is a cover. And this one was a, was kind of the most oddball cover to me. Yeah. Um, you know, where it's like it was your quintessential kind of like that en vogue 90s girl group R&B um, was the original song uh, by band SWV. Um, just the initials SWV, maybe the initials of the girls that were in the band. I don't know. I didn't look into it that much. Again, we're a very, very, um, you know, we do our research on this pod, you know, but we keep it to ourselves. Yes. That's that's the idea here. Um, you know, I thought this one was was OK. You know, I think the original was definitely better. The original was one of those ones that you could throw on a 90s playlist, you know, a throwback playlist, and it would fit right in. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you could slot it in with a TLC or um, what's one of my personal favorites, which is weird because they really only had like one good song. And even that is debatable. But All Saints... The British oh. girl group. <laughs> oh yeah. Never ever have I ever felt so low. Oh yeah. That's pretty much where it starts and ends with them. Um, yeah, no, you're totally right. You could put it on a, a throwback thing. But the interesting thing about this song is sometimes when you're not looking for stuff, the weirdos just kind of present you with something mm-hmm. to sink your teeth into. And there seems to be some debate as to the actual meaning of the song like what is it about because it's got i don't have the lyrics in front of me but it's a lot of imagery like my love is ready to explode like do you have them up in front of you yes yeah you want to you want to hit us with yeah full as a dam at capacity my passion's about to explode i can't escape it's surrounding me i'm caught in a storm that i don't need no shelter from 
So you hear something like that and you've got a lot of people that are like, it's, it's, that's about like love when you're in love and you can't contain those feelings and you get a significant number of people who go, that's about getting nutted on. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, straight up, <laughs> straight up what you're going to want to open up an incognito <laughs> tab for on your own cell phone to watch one of these songs. Um, yeah. Uh, let your love just shower me, just rain on me. I mean. There's no <laughs> shower me, sprinkle me, fall down on me. <laughs> I mean, this is just uh look, if they didn't mean for it to come across that way, God bless them. They're God the purest and simplest young ladies on the planet. <laughs> Get them an umbrella if that's the case, you know, cuz it sounds like they need it. It sounds like the original <laughs> WAP, quite honestly. Maybe SWV stands for a sweaty wet vagina, like fucking <laughs> I'm just speculating uh, based on the research available to us. <laughs> and, and again, the deep research that we do on this podcast, we're, we do it for you, the listeners. Teams of interns, unpaid. They can give us the receipts for their Wendy's. We're not paying for it. They can try with that fucking canard. But God damn it, you, just, you, you put in the work and eventually we'll make you an associate producer. That's what yes. we have going on. Yes. Lots of money to go around. It just, you know, it, at, at some point. You know, just put in the work now and we'll think about paying you later. Yes. Hard work yeah. pays off eventually. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so what was your your prompt for this one? Kind of what were your thoughts coming out of this one? So I'm thinking more about um, commonly misinterpreted themes or misheard lyrics. Like the one I think I put in parentheses was blinded by the light, wrapped up like a douche. Like everyone mm-hmm. is like, oh, he said wrapped up like a douche. Isn't that fun? And it's like. Obviously, it was an unfortunate vocal flourish because it's deuce. Yeah. But um, so I was thinking a lot about, okay, misinterpreted songs. Maybe like, again, a lot of people misinterpret uh, Born in the USA as being a very patriotic song when it's anything but jingoistic. And for me, a song that like took on several meanings throughout my life was uh, Waterfalls by TLC, appropriately mm-hmm. enough. Because when you hear it, when it first came out as a youngin, you're just, you think of it super literally. You're like, okay, don't go near a waterfall. That's sound advice. That sounds like a good way to drown. Stay mm-hmm. to the lake and the river because there's not a bunch of water that's going to force you underwater and make you drown. Good stuff. Then you take it a little less literally and you interpret it as, oh, you know, don't chase that. Like the Australians have a saying, why search for the bunyip? Which basically means, why are you going to waste your time tilting at windmills, trying to accomplish something that you have no business accomplishing. It's just like a total pipe dream. But then you really look at the lyrics and you really listen to it. And then you read what uh, TLC actually had to say about it. And it, you can argue whether the whole song is about it or not, but it, it at least like the second verse is. But it's a pretty strongly like safe sex, anti-promiscuity message. Mm-hmm. Because there's this line... At the end of the second verse, his health is fading and he doesn't know why. Three letters took him to his final resting place. It's obviously about a guy who contracted HIV. So it's about these like unhappy lives. And so this idea of don't go chasing waterfalls, the whole thing. So it kind of does kind of dovetail back with my childhood original interpretation, which is be smart, be safe. Yeah. So don't. Don't do something that someone pressured you into. Be smart, protect yourself, and protect others, which is so interesting. And it, again, shows you that, you know, more often than not, 
black artists and black women in particular are at the vanguard of social messaging in their music. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a white man's luxury to sing about his truck breaking down and his dog leaving him and his wife being unfaithful. And being an accidental racist. Or being, being an accidental <laughs> racist. Yes, precisely. Yeah, um, I, don't think, I don't think Carrie Underwood's getting the same getting the same treatment for that one you know i think she's getting like brad paisley just kind of got forgotten about i think she's getting vilified she's getting strung up you know for that one and it's just and i think that goes to show you know the difference and especially you know with black women they have it even tougher you know but you know it's kind of a thing with women in general where it's like got to be kind of careful about those messages yeah and it's i mean they're always handy there with the fuckle fucking uh social consciousness and i i am remiss in remembering who said it i want to say it might be malcolm x and i'm paraphrasing but no one more disrespected but nobody more powerful than a black woman in this country mm-hmm. and I, I stand by that i would i would extend yeah. that to women of color yeah um but it's absolutely fucking true and it is reflected in the music yeah absolutely um and definitely going with the political theme that the song i chose for this one is fortunate son by mm. a boy's Creedence Clearwater Revival, mm-hmm. um, especially recently because this was a song that Trump was using at his rallies. Um, and John Fogarty was like, uh, fuck no, Durfier. <laughs> You're not using my song for that. Um, clearly, you don't know what it's about. You know, and it's about people like Trump that dodge the war, dodge taxes, you know, and it's and it's just about like, who the fuck do you think you are that you think this song is about you? And of course, it takes a fucking wild narcissist like trump to think a song like that is a patriotic song and he's like oh i am i'm i'm not a fortunate son i worked my way up to this and it's like who the fuck do you think you're kidding yeah okay dude yeah yeah so that's a commonly misheard one great song too i mean i'm sure everybody's heard this song by now at this point but you know definitely go back and listen to that as well as more ccr because they definitely get in some political messaging that's really really great that's definitely timely today as well yeah just snuggle up into that ccr you won't regret it Yes. Um, And then rounding it off here, this is a song that I wish they had stayed far the fuck away from that I Mm. wish they never touched. Um, This one's by a guy named Blaze Foley, who is a country artist. Um, Definitely. He's one of those guys that's kind of like your country, your favorite country artist, favorite country artist kind of things um, where he wasn't necessarily super duper famous himself, but he's definitely written some songs that you've heard. Um, His probably best known one is called clay pigeons. Mm -hmm. Um, John Prine did a version of that. I think Ray Wiley Hubbard did a version of that. I mean, basically everybody that's in country has done a version of that. Um, And it's, he is a truly great storyteller and songwriter has a very deep gravelly voice the song Rainbows and Ridges, the one that they cover on this album, is a really incredible song. And if you listen to the Blaze Foley version, you're like, oh, man, this is kind of like a really heartbreaking song. Like you really wrap yourself up in the lyrics and then you hear Whitney do it. And you're like, they took every bit of emotion and feeling right out of this one. Mm-hmm. It was very like inappropriately dreamy and kind yeah. of like, again, that luxury of sitting there being like, oh, as opposed to like, I think the deep ponderance that was coming out of the Blaze Foley version. He's such an interesting cat too. Apparently, he was like best friends with Towns Van Zant, mm-hmm. and um, when Blaze Foley died, he had a dispute with a son of a friend of his who ended up shooting him. And when they buried him, his coffin was like wrapped in duct tape or something. Mm-hmm. And Towns Van Zant told a story about how he and his bandmates went to dig up the body because Blaze Foley had the fucking 
ticket for like the stub for pawning Towns Van Sant's guitar and he wanted to get it back. <laughs> so like whether that's true or not, that's such a great piece of like country esoterica. Oh yeah. That it's kind of like what's so fun about the the tradition, especially out of a place like Austin. Yeah. And it, it's it definitely makes sense. I mean, those dudes love to party. I mean, Towns Van Zandt yeah. had his had his addictions, had his problems for sure. Um, I mean, Steve Earle was part of that. Like Towns Van Zandt was Steve Earle's um, like mentor, pretty much in in the music business. Um, and you know, you saw what happened to Steve Earle. He's been married like seven times. Like yeah. been in and out of rehab like a, over a dozen times. You know, it's like so he if he learned that from <laughs> Towns Van Zandt, he certainly took it and ran with it. Learn from um, the best. Yeah, but Blaze Foley is is really an artist. I think people should should look into. Um, some of the songs get really weird. It's like John Prine, you know, he definitely had a lot of stream of consciousness type of stuff. Um, but clay pigeons is a really, truly incredible song. Really, really, really good. Um, this is also a really, really good one. This is one of his kind of lesser known ones. So I was surprised that they chose this one, but I also think it was that they wanted to dig in and do a song that wasn't necessarily that popular. I mean, if they had tried to do clay pigeons, I would have rioted. I would have been like, you stay the fuck away from that one. Yeah. Like, if you're not a country artist, you probably shouldn't be doing that song at all. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, you may look at me as too much of a purist for having that view, but it's a very, very meaningful, emotional song. And if you're going to do it in a way that takes that emotion away, you probably stay away from it. Yeah. And, and you actually raise a good point, which is intelligently, they didn't go, fuck it, let's cover Wish You Were Here and Comfortably Numb and Penny Lane and like... They didn't just do heater after heater after heater, or at least well-known song. They did things that, again, it duped both of us. We listened to it and went, oh, cool, original material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for someone else. So, like, they, I think they intelligently picked a lot of deep cuts and B-sides and stuff like that. So it had the added benefit of exposing us to that music and also not exposing them. Because I think they would have gotten exposed if they tried to do something like Clay Pigeons. You're 100% correct. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, overall with this album, I'm going to do like stream it, but with a caveat, which is stream the originals. You know, there's a couple on here that are decent. Um, I'm going to say probably skip the Whitney versions of them for the most part. And but they did bring to light a lot of great original songs that I think people should get into. I agree. If there's anyone that I'm like, the Whitney version is more than the uh, original. It's AM, AM. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I would, I would echo that sentiment exactly. In fact, I don't know, a fun way to do it. And one of the combinations that I did it with was I made a playlist that went um, Whitney cover original, Whitney cover original. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest maybe flipping that. Listening to the original, listening to the Whitney, listening to the original, listening to the Whitney. It's kind of a lot of work to build the playlist, but if you're into it, it's a fun experiment. So I'll co-sign the caveat. Stream it. Make sure you stream the originals as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And now, without further ado, we get into finally, finally, the amount we've talked about Sturgill Simpson on this (laughs) podcast so far with the albums that we've talked about. And we haven't done something that is his project. I was really excited when I heard this one coming out. It's called Cut and Grass. It's all bluegrass covers of his songs. Um, So not only with his solo stuff for the last four albums he's come out with, um, but also, or three albums he's come out with before this one, but also the Sunday Valley stuff he was in before he became the solo artist. 
Um, I really, really love this album. We're going to pick and choose kind of the songs that we talk about on this one because it's like 20 songs. It's like, and they're all bluegrass songs. So musically, there's not a lot of diversity here. Um, but you do get to realize that Sturgill Simpson is a fucking powerhouse when it comes to lyrics. No fucking doubt. And that's what I think was cool about it is when you're sitting in there listening to the difference between the music, it really exposes the strength of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And anecdotally, one of the things I read was Sturgill Simpson says, every time I sit down to write a song, it's just me and a guitar. And I've come to realize that if it can't just be you and a guitar, the song probably sucks ass. So using that as his bellwether, he kind of set this challenge for himself. Make sure that every time you write something, it stands on its own in its most stripped down form. And bluegrass, while you can do very complex things with it, like we say, it tends to become a little homogenized, which sounds mean, but if you really want it to be pure bluegrass, there's only so much you can do. Mm -hmm. So the backstory behind this is Sturgill Simpson did um, Sound and Fury, the his fourth album, which was a complete departure from his sound. It was like very industrial and like rock and roll. And that album fucking rocks. The first time Mm -hmm. I heard it, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Immediately listened to it again. I was like, you fool. Don't question Sturgill Simpson. It's a banger. Mercury retrograde. Hot damn. What a song. Hot damn. What a song. Dude. Fucking make art, not friends. Just like heater, 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 heater city. He obviously doesn't cover any of that on the Bluegrass album. I have no problem being convinced he could have if he chose to. Mm-hmm. But I think it was probably smart not to tie himself in knots and do it. So it's his other three and then, like you said, Sunday Valley. Um, but the story here is after Sound and Fury, his label was like, can you just do that again? And he said, no, I think I want to do a Bluegrass album. And they said, ha, that's a funny joke. That's a funny joke. Seriously. <laughs> you got to do more Sound and Fury. This moves units. And he's like, no, fuck you. I'm doing a bluegrass album. <laughs> and he just annoyed the shit out of him them to such a degree that they released him from his contract. And he immediately went, I guess I can go do the fucking bluegrass album now. Yep. And off he went to the butcher shop and they fucking ripped all these. And it's really fun. It's really interesting. I, it's not reinventing the wheel but it's covers of his own material and you can feel his enthusiasm for the art mm-hmm. form of bluegrass yeah and everybody that he had in there with him at the butcher shop like they called the butcher shop sessions yeah. um, and did you notice it said butcher shop sessions volume one yes which means at some point logic would tell you we're going to get a volume two which he might touch on some of those sound and fury or i'm thinking it might just be original bluegrass I think songs. those, my interpretation from an interview he gave is that the volume two will be originals. Oh, hell yeah. I can't wait. It's going to be so, so good. Fuck yes. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, if you couldn't tell, very pro Sturgill podcast here. Um, the guy <laughs> mm-hmm. is, and I don't have any trouble saying this, and I don't, and I know 10, 15 years down the road when everybody's talking about those classic out on the line episodes, you know, and everybody's trying to get their paws on those early ones. And I'm going to say on this one that when it's all said and done, Sturgill's going to be right up there with Willie, Johnny Cash, you know, all these folks that, um, you know, that really are the classic songwriters in country music. Um, He's not getting the respect he deserves right now from, you know, the CMAs and things like that. And he certainly touches on that in the album in kind of clever ways. Um, But Sturgill just doesn't, he doesn't give a fuck about 
the accolades. Like he enjoys making the music and it's always good enough that people enjoy listening to it. Like I was, I went to try to order this. There's a special edition vinyl, the green and yellow vinyl. That's like the indie store exclusive and fuck scalpers. Because as soon as it went on sale, it was sold out. I mean, like you couldn't even get on the sites to get it. And I mean, they're going to come out with a standard version on just the black vinyl, but you know, I wanted that green and yellow one for my collection to have the, the cooler one, you know? Um, but now they're on eBay. You can buy the pre-order for like $150. Oh, dude. Fuck yeah. that. Yeah. Fuck scalpers. You know, but that's how anticipated every Sturgill album is. Um, I remember when I tried to get Sound and Fury that that was tough to get as well uh, mm-hmm. because the stores were like, oh, you came in here looking for Sturgill that came out three days ago. You think we have any left? You know, it's like basically <laughs> what they told me. Um, and I was like, you know, I guess it makes sense. Um but yeah, when it's all said and done, Sturgill's going to be right up there with with some of the best of all time, and I have no problem saying that. I feel fully comfortable co-endorsing that. I mean, it's it's the absolute truth. And you're talking to a guy who grew up, and country music was a total anathema to me. I fucking hated it because my mom and my sister had listened to nothing but Froggy 100.9, <laughs> and it was just, you know, stupid Billy's got his beer goggles on bullshit. Which, don't get me wrong, I like that as a novelty. So it's a bad <laughs> example. But it was just like unlistenable fucking garbage. And I'm like, this is country music. And then, like, I can't say that I love Conway Twitty, mm-hmm. but my grandpa sure does. And that was what told me, oh, country music can be a couple different things. He played, um, what's that fucking song? I Still See the Want To In Your Eyes mm-hmm. by Conway Twitty. Yep. And I just remember being like, this is a fucking country song like i hear it in the dna he was playing it on the record player while i was helping him clean the basement and i'm like oh shit this is interesting and those are the lessons you learn as you grow up is that you know everything kind of rests on a spectrum if you're open-minded and slowly but surely i open myself up to further and further country experiences and that's why someone like sturgill simpson is so fucking exciting because he can take a lot of chances. He can marry a distinctly country music sound. You hear those, the whines of the guitar that sound like sundown in fucking West Texas. Mm-hmm. I realize he's not a West Texas guy, but just go with me for the example. Yeah, It's just that evocative, that kind of sound that you get from the guitar. He can incorporate stuff like that, but he can also infuse it with this cosmic flavor, like cosmic country something that Casey Musgraves does, John Prine did to a certain Mm -hmm. extent. There's so much you can do to push that without losing your country roots, and Sturgill is the best at that. He has such an opportunity for crossover mainstream appeal. Again, not that it's the goal. He's just making the music that he loves, Mm -hmm. but he's so accessible because he's not limited to a traditional definition of country music. That's why he's so fucking talented. And I... You know, like you said, it may take 10 or 15 years to hit, but he is going to be in the fucking pantheon. There is no question. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in the same way that, you know, kind of Blaze Foley, like the, um, you know, there was the movie, can't remember, I think it was just called Blaze. Um, yeah. But it was the one Ethan Hawke, um, I think, played Blaze Foley. I haven't seen it, but, you know, it was that kind of like 
Later on, he got the shine that he always deserved. Um, thankfully, I think Sturgill is like getting his shine now. You know, I think because mm-hmm. the popular artists in country are all saying like, well, we're all influenced by him. You know, he produced Margot Price's album, um, produced both of the latest Tyler Childers albums. You know, I get, well, I guess the most recent Tyler Childers, he didn't, but that was all basically a kind of bluegrass instrumental album except for one song um but the purgatory and country squire albums he produced and those are like some of the best works in country music in recent memory you know so it's like he has his pause on the pulse of country and where it's going and i think if people are smart they're going to follow him you know and, and he shouldn't be an outlier anymore you know as much as he probably still is you know he mentions he's like you're not going to see you're not going to hear me on the radio or see me at the cmas you know, and I think that's also a conscious decision for him. He's like, I don't need that recognition. You know, I don't need them. You know, I, if they're going to give an award to Luke Bryan, I don't want the same award that he's getting. You know, I, I right. don't want I don't want that. You know, and I think that's a, um, you know, it reminds me of the um, the Super Troopers movie, you know, and speaking of Take Me Home Country Roads and John Denver, you know, when they're talking about Charlie Rich not winning the album and you know who they gave it to fucking sunshine on my goddamn shoulders, John Denver. Um, and that's, I feel, I feel like that's how Sturgill feels. He's like, well, if they're going to give awards to them, then I don't give a shit about those awards. Yeah. And I mean, that's not to go on a tangent. So I'll just briefly say that's something that I have personally thought about the Oscars is like, why are you giving awards to something as subjective as art? Mm -hmm. And you know, George C. Scott, I mean, Marlon Brando rejected his um, and he sent Sasheen Littlefeather to accept his award for the Godfather and said, like, this is in protest of the treatment of indigenous peoples. Mm-hmm. Whereas George C. Scott rejected his on the notion of I do not consider myself to be in competition with other artists. That's an anathema to what an artist does. That's fucking yeah. stupid. So Sturgill's head is in the right place. It's not about accolades. It's not about hanging a platinum record on your wall. It's about living your truth. And as like hackneyed as that phrase has become, he embodies it in the mm-hmm. purest way. Yes. And what do you say we get right down to it? Starting out with the first song on the album. Um, this one is from the Sailor's Guide to Earth album called All Around You. Um, now, this is one that he performed at, I want to say it was at the Grammys, right? Was the performance he did? believe so um but this was kind of like this song was a little bit of his coming out party you know everybody that hadn't ever heard of Sturgill saw that performance they're like who the fuck is this guy you know because they you know he's a country artist but he had a whole choir with him singing that song um and it's just the whole album sailor's guide to earth is basically you know he was having a kid and he wanted to give some advice to him you know Sturgill's lived himself a pretty hard scrabble kind of life, you know, through mm-hmm. his own mistakes and, and circumstances that he's run himself into. Um, but it's a, advice to his son about how to go through the world and not lose yourself, you know, and, and just kind of reassuring him that, you know, love is all around you that, you know, if you're ever in a place where you're struggling, where you don't know what's going on or what you're going to do, just realize that even if I'm not there, I'm still, I'll still be around, you know, and, you know, think paraphrasing some of the lyrics there, but it's a really, really incredible song on the original album. But then you really kind of get to know the lyrics better when he does it in this bluegrass version. Yeah. And that's, again, what was so interesting about this exercise is when you first hear it, when you listen to Sailor's Guide to Earth, you're kind of overwhelmed by this evocative. And obviously it's like a, 
a seafaring theme, which is such an interesting thing for a country artist to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, so if you think about like, this is a sailor's guide to earth, Sergio Simpson, the salty old sailor, something he can, you know, theoretically leave behind for his son or instruct his son. Um, it's, he really does an excellent job of, again, the guitar sounds like sometimes they sound like fucking seagulls over the bay. You know, there's these like really interesting cosmic and oceanic sounds that he can produce that are really fucking great. But as soon as you take all of that away and there's nothing left but the message and sometimes the bluegrass songs, let's be honest, can kind of melt into one another. The lyrics are the things that make them distinct. Mm -hmm. So I think this song kind of typifies the success of that experiment of when you strip this down, does it still work? And it most certainly still does. The one thing I do miss, though, is that tenor sax solo. Mm -hmm. It crushes on Sailor's Guide. Yeah. I yeah, do I miss mean, that. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I guess you can't. If He really wanted to make a faithful bluegrass record, and there's no saxophone in bluegrass. So, that, yeah. so the solo was... It's still a very good solo. I mean, the, the Yo, way, yeah. you know, I don't know if it was Sturgill himself playing lead guitar on this one or if it was somebody in, you know, the butcher shop sessions, but goddamn, they can rip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like, I completely respect trying to be faithful to Bluegrass the art form. It's not me being like, well, he could have done. It's just one of those, hey, I understand why you had to change the things you did. It's just a little thing you miss, yeah. incidentally, but it doesn't affect the quality of it, obviously. Yeah. And, and I guess. It, yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it was, you missed it, but it also, you know, if you had heard this song just on its own, you wouldn't have thought anything was missing. Like, you know, because we yes. had heard that original and we really loved that album. And I mean, I think the first time both of us heard it was together down here in Austin. I think we bought it on Record Store Day um, when we went down to a now probably closed record store. I think it was like Empire Records or something. I can't remember. Didn't we go to um, the Sound Gallery? Um, we went to the sound guy. I can't remember. I think I bought it at another place that was just off of, um, on just East of 35 on sixth street. I think it was oh, that okay. little record shop where the guys were always talking about how they're raising their rent and they're not going to be able to afford it anymore. Oh yeah. Yeah. It yeah, was I like think all I bought, the owners. Uh, Van Halen from there. 1984. Yeah. I think it was that same day. Like we went there cause it was record store day and they didn't have any of the special edition records left that we were looking for. So I just grabbed <laughs> A Sailor's Guide to Earth. I was like, oh, I heard this was a good one. Let's grab it. And then when we got home and listened to it, we were like, holy shit. Kind of blew our socks off. Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Um, and, and I then, think... Like, yeah? Oh, sorry. The like the one last thing I was going to say to like illustrate the difference is in the original version, it does kind of have this like nighttime feel, like staring off the end of the pier, maybe like mentally making a note of this or jotting it down in a notebook to give to your son someday. And he's not there while you're having these thoughts. Mm -hmm. Whereas the difference in the bluegrass version was like at the end of a long day of yard work, it's hot out, sun's going down and it's you and your kid. And he's not old enough to have a beer, but you give him a sip yeah, and you're sitting on the back porch kind of telling him all of this stuff. And one of those moments where you just get caught up, like, my old man can kind of be a softie sometimes, and he'll just randomly be like, you know, I love you, and it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I can see this being kind of like one of those moments between him and his son. And it's just like, again, something changes in the translation, but it's a lateral move because it just takes on a whole different sweetness. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my abstract interpretation of the difference if I had to put it into imagery. 
Yeah, and I think it was I think it was just a great introduction to what he was going to do on this album. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's like I said, we're going to pick and choose which ones. I think we selected like 8 that we're going to actually talk about, but there's like 20 songs on here. And yeah. you know, it was, you know, we're not picking the 8 because we think they're better than the others. I think just because there's more to dive into with them. Um, this whole album top to bottom was awesome. And, yeah. and especially if you liked bluegrass music anyway, you know, you're going to love it because it is a faithful bluegrass album. You know, you're going to be moving and grooving as this one's playing. Um, and if you haven't gotten into bluegrass and, you know, this is probably a really great introduction to get you into it. Um, so definitely either way, if you like bluegrass, check it out. If you haven't really listened to bluegrass, check this one out and see if it's something you dig, you know, it's really, really good. Um, and then moving on. So Sturgill was part of a band called Sunday Valley before he became solo artist, like we mentioned before. So the next song that we decided we were going to talk about all the pretty colors, um, was a Sunday Valley song. And this was one that you had specifically wanted to do. So, um, I'm going to give you the platform here. Let me know what you were thinking with this one that, that put it on the list for you. So it's almost kind of for a superficial reason. And again, I don't want this to turn into the recurring bit of taking a big fat shit on Taylor Swift's face, but <laughs> do it. It's it, drop trial. In baby. that, in, in that folklore album that we covered, she had that song. And again, the Kings of research, I didn't look up what the title of the song was, but it was a song where she was like, well, I can definitely skate by, by just relying on color imagery. He was wearing a teal shirt. The leaves were gold. The dog was brown. The cow goes moo. It was just like mm-hmm. very basic kind of stuff. And here's the difference between her doing that and Sturgill doing that on this song. Like literally all the pretty colors. They are not necessarily doing anything different. She's talking about a guy in a teal shirt. He's talking about the bright orange day, etc. So they're both using colors to translate emotions to you the difference in it to quote noted asshole eric clapton it's in the way that you use it hers is all just this very basic surface level unclever i don't know if unclever is a word but it's just rattling off colors thinking that's deep it's him taking that and going that's not enough i need to add clever twists so he ties it in with this whole thing about Where's Van Gogh when you need him? I'd give my left ear to be able to have him here to make sense of this. He takes this whole motif of the colors and the emotions, and it's like there's the line in the second verse. um, People say it's better to be, I'm paraphrasing, people say it's better to be gray than blue. Then talking about something in between black and white, which of course we know to be gray. So it's, Again, doing what Taylor Swift did, but doing it better to make a successful song that connects with you and relays a message rather than just exists. So to me, it's a great example of an artist who has actual talent, really. And I know that sounds really fucking mean to say because Taylor Swift does have some talent. But it's really the difference between good and great for me, exemplifying what an artist is capable of if they really dig down deep. So that's mm-hmm. why I really like this. It also sounds great when he's doing it, but yeah, you know, that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. And again, just really clever, you know, the way he puts things together are just extremely clever. You know, the, that line you were referencing, where's old Van Gogh when you need him? I bet you my left ear, he can relate, you know, and he's talking about this feeling and it's like Van Gogh clearly, you know, if you're not familiar, 
you know, cut off his left ear and sent it to his lover, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted her to have a piece of him, you know, whatever the, whatever the reasons that, again, kings of research here, folks, you know what? They're going to spin this right around. So what we're doing is causing them to do their own research. So really, we're bettering their lives by making them better at doing that. Um, so we're doing y'all a favor by this, by doing that. Yeah, th- you're this welcome. Way. Yeah, you are welcome. Um, and then, you know, this other, you know, another line, but I've been so down ever since those eyes of brown followed white lines back to Pine's eternal green. So that's his way of saying, you know, he references white lines a lot. And I think he generally means exactly what you think he does, which is, you know, Coke. Um, there's another <laughs> song that he, that he does on this one um, called Long White Line, where it's like, you can find me at the end of that long white line. Searching which for is, the end of the long white line. Yeah, he's basically, he's like, I'm on a Coke binge and I'm just doing it till, you know, till I'm spent, you know, basically is what he's saying. And again, here he says, I was, went off the rails. I followed white lines, but I came back home kind of thing, you know, and it's just, this is a very reflective song where he's made it back home and he's like, well, this still isn't any better, you know, but at least I'm more comfortable here. And now I can kind of think about the things that have happened. Um, But the way he uses those colors, like you said, it's not a superficial thing. He's not talking about a teal shirt, a brown cow, you know, like that kind of thing. He's using those colors as, you know, a jumping off point to bring you into those emotions. And it's just a a different level of songwriting that he's capable of that a lot of other people aren't. And not, this is going to totally sound like me blowing myself, but it's just a, for instance, but I was interviewing for a job and it was a copywriting position. And the interviewers asked me, how would you describe the color yellow to someone who is blind? And I was like, Oh, that's an interesting question. And I, the two things I said were the taste of like lemon shaved ice and the feeling of the sun on your skin, mm-hmm. like the way you feel when you're out in the warmth of the sun. That's how I would describe yellow to someone who has no concept of yellow. And they were like, oh, what's cool about that is that you used other senses to relay the, the mm-hmm. one that this person would not have. And like that's what Sturgill Simpson does successfully. So in that way, I'm a lot like Sturgill Simpson, really. <laughs> <laughs> but what he does successfully is he triggers an emotion by talking about things you can relate to through your senses. So it's, it's setting you up through the way that you feel to know exactly how he feels. So again, the difference between the brown dog and the yellow warmth of the sun beating down the day that you left, staring into brown eyes. Like he can play with emotions and colors and senses rather than just kind of spitting out a bunch of images that just land with a thud like they do with our good pal Taylor. <laughs> God help us if she ever listens to this podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm so not hooking up with her if she does. That's going to suck. <laughs> Blew your chance, man. <laughs> oh, Taylor, I'm sorry. <laughs> so moving right along um, to another one from Sailor's Guide to Earth. Um, this one's called Breaker's Roar. Um, this one, I, I one of the notes I wrote down was just so, so good. Because yeah. um, it's a really good song to start with you know, on that album. And then again... He finds a way to just totally change how you hear it, but still keep that same messaging. And it's just it, when when the lyrics stand up, though, as you know, as well as they do for Sturgill when he switches the musical style of the song, like that's really how you can tell how far and away better he is than the majority of people that are doing this for a living. Yeah, I mean, it's not crowded at the top of the fucking mountain, man. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And what I really love particularly about this is the original was extremely atmospheric, much more so than the bluegrass version. It was 
very subdued, very melancholy, contemplative, introspective. Again, it felt like a song that he's almost singing in his head in preparation to eventually transmit it to his son. But the bluegrass version feels declamatory and very public. Mm-hmm. And it does the meaning doesn't change. It's just the feeling changes, the way that you see it. Like, again, the original version feels like something you write on the road in a hotel room by yourself. And the second one is something you perform at a fucking state fair in front of a sold-out crowd. It's incredible how it doesn't lose its meaning, but it becomes a completely different song united by those lyrics, which are just so goddamn strong between the two. It's it just, honestly, more than anything with this whole album, pretty fucking incredible. It, 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 we keep saying it, but a testament to his talent that they're all so completely different, but you never lose the thing that you loved. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I'll always love the originals more because they're the originals, but it's not like, well, I can't love this because it's too different from the thing that I actually like. Yeah. It's just giving me, it's two fucking scoops of ice cream. You've just given me two different fucking flavors, but they're both ice cream. Yeah. Both delicious ice cream. Yeah. 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 It was, it, it's, I mean, some of the lines, you know, bones break, bone breaks and heals. Oh, but heartaches can kill. You know, and it's not, you know, he's not talking literally, you know, heartache can kill, but he's talking about that toll it takes on you as a person. You know, if You'll you wish break, you were dead. Yeah. If you break your wrist or something like that, it's like, yeah, that sucks. You're going to be out of commission for you know, six weeks or whatever it is while it heals. But, you know, a heartache that can just eat you up. You know, you know, that's the sort of thing that doesn't heal. And there's all sorts of things that can just trigger that pain again for you. You know, it's, it's not the same as, you know, it's like if you break your wrist, like using that example, you know, it's not, that'll, that'll heal. You know, you might have some issues with that down the road. Like when it rains, it might hurt or something like that. Um, But it's, it's not to the point where, you know, if you have a love or something or a heartbreak that you haven't gotten over, you know, that can stick with you and that can influence everything else in your life in such a negative way, you know, and it's just, he's got, again, that way of making it relatable to you, um, but also just exposing himself, you know, that you can feel it right along with him. Well, and to actually leap to another song that's completely related to that notion, it's another Sunday Valley cover, I Wonder. Mm-hmm. Um and that whole song is about you know, this exact thing, like the, the poisonous power of heartbreak, which is the whole thing. I wonder. You can only wonder what this other person is up to and how they're feeling because you have no idea. You have no context. You don't speak to this person. The relationship is that broken, and it left you that broken that all you're doing is sitting there and dwelling on your pain and not moving forward. It's like you never set the bone, or every time it starts to heal, you break it again. And your mind wanders to, do they feel this bad? And if they could see me, would they feel bad about what they did? I kind of hope they feel like shit too, because they don't deserve to be okay with what happened if I don't Mm -hmm. get to be okay. And it's all of this speculation and stinking thinking because you can't have any, you don't have communication. You don't know. So I wonder, because that's all I can do. And this is what he's so good at is it's extremely simple but it's totally evocative because literally just hearing the title, I get all of that. The second mm-hmm. he opens his mouth, the whole story is kind of laid out in front of me. He's that good. Yeah. It does not, he, nothing wasted. In screenwriting, we say 
Get right into the meat of the scene and get out as soon as you've covered every important bit. Nothing is wasted with fucking Sturgill Simpson. Yeah, and he does he does things so well. You know, where uh, you know, there's so many country songs that are just about you know. There's a song "Pour Me Something Tall and Strong," make it a hurricane before I go insane. You know, it's like there's songs like that where it's like right on the nose, like it's a party song. You know, and you know it might be that they're upset about their workday, whatever it is. You know, but it's like the the focus is the drinking. You know, the focus is that. With Sturgill, you know, the chorus on this song, I'm sad and lonely. I wonder, do you feel the same? Tell me, am I the only one drinking and cursing your name? So he's saying those same things. He's saying, I got some problems right now. I'm trying to drink them away. But the way he does it is he, it's not saying I'm getting drunk to forget you. You know, I'm, I'm getting drunk to, to forget your name or anything like that. It's tell me, am I the only one drinking and cursing your name? So he's admitting freely. He's like, I shouldn't be thinking about this, but I am, you know, I'm not handling it the right way. You know, tell me, am I the only one that's doing this? And the way he, the way he frames it is just so much better than, you know, what all those other songs that are just generally forgettable. You know, it's just a very talented man to be able to do it this way. Yeah. Yep. 100% agree. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the next one, so we'll just name the song. So he also covers um, Just Let Go uh, for Metamodern Sounds and Country Music is the next one, as well as Life Ain't Fair um, and The World Is Mean. <laughs> Life Ain't Fair and The World Is Mean. Ain't that the fucking truth right now? <laughs> yeah. um, this one, the call and response in the chorus is like just so, it's just such classic bluegrass music and it's just so good when it pops in and, and you hear it and you hear that like background vocal and you're just like, Oh, it just feels like a warm hug when you don't, when yeah. you, you know, I've listened to tons and tons of bluegrass music, you know, going to Johnson state college, you know, and growing up in Vermont, there's tons of bluegrass bands and you know, it's just one of those things that you grow up with and to hear just such a classic faithful bluegrass song with those lyrics is just really incredible. Well, and yeah, the lyrics, it's kind of funny. We talk about the anecdote where the label wanted him to do more sound and fury and he wanted to do more bluegrass. And obviously this was written well before that battle, but the lyrics kind of embody that idea of like, you know, I want to do a very specific thing that is not very marketable, but that's not going to stop me from doing it. Because the one thing I've learned is that life is life ain't fair and the world is mean and you don't stop because of that. You continue to go your own way. Yeah. And this so, was the yeah. one where he says, you know, won't hear my song on the radio or see me at the CMAs. Yeah. You know, and it's just his little, you know, his thumb in his nose at them. You know, and I, I don't know if you took a look at the merch for the album, um, for the cut and grass, but it's like DDSS lawn services and stuff like it's basically looks like you know, in John Deere colors, the green and yellow from the album, you know, it basically yep. looks like what you would see landscaping companies use for advertisements. Um, and he sells like it's literal those like lawn signs like you see people do with political signs they put in their yard um, with the name on it. Those just like metal frames with the foam type, you know, sign on them. And somebody stuck one of those at the CMA headquarters. <laughs> That's fucking Yeah, awesome. right, right in the lawn. So it looked like. It, that was the company that mows their lawn doing the advertising, but it was really just somebody putting the middle finger up to the CMAs on behalf of Sturgill. It was pretty clever. That's fucking great. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and this one, High Top Mountain is 
probably my favorite Sturgill album. I mean, Sailor's Guide to Earth is really incredible. Metamodern Sounds and Country Music, also incredible. Sound and Fury, incredible. But if you want some of that pure, good, clever, you know, like hasn't made it quite yet Sturgill Simpson, where he's got some real, um, you know, he's got a real bone to pick with the industry. Um, this album is really, really good. The High Top Mountain album. I think I'm becoming a High Top Mountain guy. I was a meta modern guy because that was the first Sturgill I heard and then bought. Then I became a Sailor's Guide guy, but I think I'm becoming a High Top Mountain bro. Yeah. And it's just so good. Yeah. You can have the crown from this one is just incredible. I mean, Long White Line. I mean, it's, or sorry, Long White Lines on Meta Modern Sounds. What, what one am I thinking of? Oh, Time After All. Yeah. Sorry. That's, that's another great, I mean, it's just, it's hard to find a bad Sturgill Simpson song. I don't think one exists, to be honest with you. Yeah, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, next one is a little light. And this one, I think, gives you the most kind of look into Sturgill being a, a weirdo. You know, a guy that's like, you think you got him pegged if you listen to Sunday Valley and you listen to High Top Mountain. You think you got him pegged as just like, he's a Kentucky guy. You know, he might he's certainly more liberal in his viewpoints as far as politically and stuff like that. But, you know, you kind of look at him and thought he was kind of a redneck. And then you listen to this song and you realize how spiritual he is not necessarily, you know, with Christianity, but just that kind of the same way I am, um, where it's like, you know, that agnostic kind of viewpoint where it's like, there's something out there that's holding everything together. That's kind of the, you know, the universal glue, you know, that's keeping us all together. He references it in the, the, in, um, all around you, the universal heart. Yeah. And Tyler so, Childers yeah. does it um, in the song Universal Sound. I mean, it's definitely a theme that these guys in this kind of today's generation of outlaw country artists, um, of which those two are part of, you know, it's definitely that, like, I don't know if necessarily the Christian God is the one that I believe in, but I certainly believe there is something out there. And Sturgill, I think, does a great job here, as well as a couple other places you know, he talks about Buddhism as well on this album, you know, and well, mm-hmm. obviously on the albums they came out with originally, um, where I think he's trying to find it as well. You know, and like like Patrick Swayze and Roadhouse, you know, man's search for faith and that sort of shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh it's really interesting to to hear it's such a refreshing take on spirituality in a genre that is predicated a lot on like say your prayers, Jesus take the wheel kind of shit where he breaks with that. And he's not the first to do it, but he does it elegantly because he is, makes it very clear. He doesn't know what makes the world run, but he has a theory that it's love and mutual respect and understanding and cooperation and help and a little bit of music. And it's, it's a very pure and like a, a, a super religious person would call it naive because they tend to believe that morality can only be derived through religion. But it sounds like with him, morality is derived through the shared human experience, the universal heart, and making sure that everybody realizes that. We don't, know how, we don't need to know how the universe works or how we all got here. We can allow for there to be mystery. We can allow that one of us might be right or none of us are. And that is less important than uplifting each other and supporting each other. And I think that's what's cool about his take on spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I will say, just as I look at our time, we're, we're getting up against it. So what do you say to doing one or two more? Yeah, I'm and down. And then calling it. Yeah, absolutely. Which, uh, which ones? It certainly turtles all the way down. 
is one we should yes. do. Um, and then let's pick one other one. What do you think? Uh, that's up to you. I'd love to do Turtles All the Way Down. That's the one I really want to hit. Okay. Um, and then I guess, why don't we say, we'll have a little fun. We'll say Long White Line. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Kick Long us White, off. Yeah. So Long White Line um, takes place before Turtles All the Way Down. So it'll be nice to have Turtles All the Way Down be the kind of closer on this one. Um, Long White Line is, like I was saying before, about exactly what you think it's about. Um, he's got himself off the rails a bit. Um, you know, the lyrics tell me, tell him I'm somewhere looking for the end of that long white line. And it is, he's just trying to find it. You know, he's trying to find the end of that white line. And I don't think he's going to, I don't think he ever did. I think that's a reference that he continuously makes throughout his albums. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just Sturgill being Sturgill and being like, I'm not going to do things the way everybody else thinks I should. But it's also a very cliche rock star kind of thing to try to find yourself through doing a bunch of drugs and, and partying all the time. And that dovetails to kind of cheat and fold in another song, but Life of Sin, where he talks about, you know, it's kind of this vicious cycle where you get hurt, specifically by a woman, you get hurt, you fall into your bad habits to compensate, and through that, you end up developing some really interesting music born out of your pain and out of your vice. So it's the no junk, no soul argument. Like famously, a lot of people have lobbied at uh, Amy Winehouse and Kurt Cobain. Could they have done it without their vices? And my argument is yes, absolutely. I think any creative person is not creative because of the substances. And it's interesting again to hear Sturgill's take on, he's being very candid about, you know, substance abuse and, and drug use and he doesn't necessarily want you to feel bad about it he's just telling it like it is he's like yep this is kind of the process which is shit goes belly up i snap into my protocol and what that is is me looking for answers at the end of a long white line and i don't find it but god bless me i, I keep trying yeah and he, and he wraps it up in this metaphor that he is a vehicle um, and long white line being, you know, lines on a road, but you know what he's actually talking about, but it's, yeah. you know, he's New York, old St. Joe, Albuquerque, New Mexico. This old rig is humming and rolling along and she's doing fine. Uh, if somebody wants to know what's become of this so-and-so tell them I'm somewhere looking for the end of that long white line. And it's just like, he's saying like, yeah, I might be kind of rickety right now. I might be getting a little broken down, but I'm still chugging. I'm still doing all right. Um, and it's just very much that like, Sturgill thumbing his nose at people that think they can tell him what to do. Yep. He's going to need that nose for what he's doing. So be careful. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah, thumb certainly. it too hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we'll wrap it up with, I think really one of his best songs. I mean, I, I don't know how you can really, I don't know what ones you're going to want to put above it. You know, you could certainly say some are equal to it, but turtles all the way down. Um, the original is incredible. And this version is just as incredible. Yeah, I would go so far as to call it a, if not the signature song for Sturgill. It's the one when I talk about him, if people know him, they know this. Um, and I don't think they, most people I've talked to too, don't super dig into it. They're like mostly arrested by when he goes marijuana, LSD, psilocybin, DMT. They all mm -hmm. change the way I see. Um, that's kind of what they key in on because it shows you how, weirdly taboo some of these things are and he even brings it up in the song um or maybe it's not this song maybe it's a different one um but where he's talking about like how can we be so obsessed with banning something 
that's produced. I think it is this song. Yeah, it is. Yeah, in our, in tell our me minds. how you make illegal something that we all make in our brain. Exactly. Yeah. DMT. So, yeah. DMT. Yeah. Um, the spirit molecule. So like, it these things are still taboo. There are still people. If you go, yeah, I smoke pot from now and like every now and then. <gasps> no, not the devil's lettuce. Like people still have those sensibilities. And a lot of what he's trying to accomplish through this song is, I don't know. I've I've kind of experimented with as many aspects of religion and faith as I have drugs. And in a way these go hand in hand because as these things alter your mind and your perceptions, they make you more open to different possibilities. They can like, they all change the way I see he says in the song. So it's kind of the intersection between spirituality and experimenting with drugs. It's even kind of a misnomer to call them drugs probably more appropriate to call them mind-altering substances. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily all psychedelics, but mind-altering substances. Um, and how it, if you do it in the correct setting and with a healthy respect for what you're doing, they can be transformative. I remember, I'll protect the name of the person even though I don't think they'd care about me saying it, but um, a friend of the pod and I did mushrooms together and we just sat and stared out at the lake and we looked at each other and we were like, it's kind of a hippy dippy thought, but not really. But if people would not wage war if they knew this was waiting for them, because it kind of opens you up to things greater than yourself. You're not dwelling on your problems and your place in the universe. You're thinking about everything around you. You're disappearing into the natural world. And it's important to check in and remember that this isn't about you. You are experiencing the world, but it's not, this is my world and you're all just living in it. You have to be cognizant of the people and the processes around you. I think that's what he's talking about is that checking in and that very important search is kind of what he's getting at with this song. Yeah, and it's it's the kind of the difference between thinking that you're the main character in the world versus being a character, you know, a yes. supporting character. And, you know, in, in my mind, I don't think there is a single main character in the world. I think that's a very narcissistic way to look at things if you do look at it that way. Um, I think it's, it's more about, you know, how do we make sure that this place is left better after I'm gone than when I got here? You know, I think if, if that's the viewpoint you have, you know, then you're going to probably lead a very full and, you know, fulfilling life. That's that you're going to be happy with, you know, if your idea is that you're the main character, you're probably never going to be satisfied with anything that you accomplish, and chances are you're going to blame it on outside factors for why you never got to do that. Um, you know, I think with those mind-altering substances, what they help you realize is that you are just part of a greater picture. You know, you're like think about how long the Earth has been around, how long it's going to be around after all of us are gone, dead and gone. You know, long after humanity exists, you know, it's probably still going to be around for billions of years. So it's it's one of those things where it's like we are such a insignificant part of the entire timeline of the universe that who are we to think that we have that much influence over the way things are going? So if what you can do is make your world a better place, understand where you fit in the people's lives around you, how do you make their lives better? Um, and just basically, you know, that to me, I think is what he considers the the almighty you know is that connection Mm -hmm. between people and that you know improving each other's lives and you know it's kind of an abstract concept but so is thinking that there's a 
God in the sky that's just looking over everything and created everything. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where it's like this sort of thinking shouldn't really be that radical when we're talking about somebody that supposedly walked on water, you know, and, and turned yeah. turned blood, you know, turned um, water into wine. You know, it's like those are those are very fantastical things that happened and they very well could have happened. Who knows? But to think that this that there's just one true one truth in the world and that's it you know, and that you're the one that knows it is a very selfish thing. And I think what he delves into here is that you can't think that way. You know, you have to find a way to connect with people, connect with the world, understand your place in it and understand that while you are insignificant, you can still be important. Yeah. And, and again, I think what he also ultimately gets at is in order to realize that it's important to experience the ego death, because if you are not thinking of all of this as me, I, and your experience, and you're thinking more globally, which really can at times only be achieved through something like meditation or experimentation with these substances, because it's not right for everyone. I wouldn't recommend psychedelics to a number of people, but there Mm -hmm. are some that I would. Um, And I'm comfortable taking them. It's not something I do every weekend, but I think regular check-ins with Something greater than yourself are important, and that's what he's getting at with this song. Mm-hmm. So for him, it just happens to be, I need something to open the door so that I can walk through and experience the ego death and take stock of the universe and try to come back with what I've learned and be better and do better. And yes. it's got a whimsical title like Turtles All the Way Down. He references uh, reptile alien men made of light like... It's some goofy imagery, yep. but I think that's – you have to also – if you're going to believe in something – sorry, Christians and other religious people, but if you're going to believe in people who walk on water and, and sky people and stuff like that, if you can't be skeptical about it, you have to have at least a healthy sense of humor about it so that when other people go, it's kind of silly, you have to be able to go, I can see where you would think that. On its face, it does seem a little silly. Yeah. And don't be a fucking zealot. I think that's another thing he's getting at. Yeah, it just depends what you're using it for. You know, folks are going to read the Bible and that just causes them to be a better person. You know, then that's fine. You know, and I think... fantastic. Yeah, I mean, if Jesus were around today from everything in the Bible, he'd be a pretty radical dude compared to what a lot of the folks that worship him think. You know, so it's like, it's definitely one of those things where you have to... It's about perspective. You know, you got to have the right perspective on, you know, your place in the world and what's going on around you and realize that... You know, if you're going to try to force everything, if you're going to try to force yourself on everything and force your viewpoint, you're going to come up short. You know, you're never going to feel satisfied. But if you try to make sure that you, you know, come to an understanding with with yourself and with the universe, then you're going to be in a much better spot for sure. Yep. It's kind of a, I think that's a hopeful note for us to end on here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, As always, please folks follow us, like, subscribe, rate, review, all those, all those fun things um, you find on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Uh, you know, follow us on Twitter out on that line one on Instagram out at out on that line. The Gmail is out on that line at gmail.com. We are always looking for those album submissions, Um, you know, keep them coming in. You know, we really enjoy when that happens. Let us know if you enjoyed the format of this episode. I think the way that we did this, this was, you know, kind of Alex's idea to kind of break away from how we normally did things. Um, And I thought it worked really well. So let us know if you feel the same. Um, And Alex, any closing thoughts? I have nothing, so until next week, uh, be well and treat each other with love and dignity. Excellent. We'll see you next time.